Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Kinescope a podcast dedicated to the history of live television from the 1940s to the early 1960s. I'm your co-host, John Suntress. Together with Gabriel Hardman, each week, we look at the formative years of television before the invention of videotape. This era of TV helped start the careers of many famous actors, writers, directors, and producers. This week, we look at Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners. Just like I Love Lucy, Gleason's CBS half-hour version of this sketch has been widely syndicated for decades. But the sketch was created for the Cavalcade of Stars, Jackie Gleason's variety show on the Dumont Network back in 1951. Each week, we'll choose episodes of television available to watch for free at YouTube or Tubi or other streaming platforms. Think of Kinescope as a video book club, where we'll tell you a week in advance the subject of our next podcast discussion. Like our subjects of discussion, the Kinescope podcast is performed live on the Word Balloon YouTube channel. If you wish to comment or ask us questions, join us every Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Pacific, 11.30 p.m. Central, and 12.30 a.m. Eastern. Or send us a question or comment via email to john at wordballoon.com. Very interesting. We've got a big crowd tonight. Maybe one of the reasons because this is one of the classics of live television and, and uh, recorded television that we're going to be discussing. It lasted for decades. It's a look at the honeymooners, everybody. And there's a classic shot of uh, Jackie Gleason and the way that he could emote <laughs> with uh, just his eyes. And uh, one of the episodes that we chose uh, is a great example of that. John Suntress here, Gabe Hardman here, Jeff Parker. Uh, gentlemen, your thoughts on the honeymooners? Well, I mean, one of my thoughts is that uh, we have a bigger crowd because this is actually something someone has heard about and is slightly popular. I don't know. That's just me going out on a limb. But, <laughs> Jeff, why don't you tell us about your relationship with Honeymoon? Uh, I thought, well, this is the clearly, you know, this is the show that taught us uh, abusive relationships. Uh, <laughs> Hang Zoom. We're, we're fine as long as they ended with everybody going, ah, you just scream at me because you love me. Yeah, um, as, as long as there's a big dose of sentiment at the end, everything's fine. Yeah, it's all about that turnaround right at the end. And it's like, even if it, you can threaten to beat them, you can threaten to jump out the window, which that wasn't that funny a joke, but boy, they thought that was a... They loved the jump out the window joke at the early days of running. <laughs> Let's get going but uh, well, was, John is already stewing. He's already angry about what we're talking about. So no, wait, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm really talking about because I after watching the ninety nine thousand dollar question night, I went into the uh, Paul Reiser special that showed all the 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 very early ones uh, with uh, uh, Kelton. Uh, Kurt Kelton, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, uh, playing Alice and she's uh, on the right. Yep, and it's. And so I was, I spent a lot of time just kind of processing that and thinking, wow, this is so different because she was like a kind of broader, older style humor. You know, it's, a, I mean, they're just screaming at each other. Yeah. Right. It was angry yeah. against angry. I mean, and that's yeah. fine. And it worked. It's, I mean, I, it I worked. Love- but when Audrey Meadows comes in, the tone changes. I mean, hers is a little more disdain. Uh, and and, and some, somehow more worldly. Um, and she does. Was, I mean, obviously, she's, you know, she's pretty, but she, you know, prettier than what, you know, what what is Kelton. supposedly the case for or what, what they wanted for for Alice. But she's also she somehow connects with the camera better, I think. Like, I, I think. Well, yeah. But 
but uh, should we a little bit? Uh, probably we should a little bit set up. Yeah, we got to what, uh, what the uh, hell we're talking about here. Because well. I mean, the the uh, uh, like so the honeymooners, Jackie Gleason, uh, Art Carney, uh, like the the classic lineup of the honeymooners is Jackie Gleason, uh, Audrey Meadows is right. Audrey Meadows as his uh, right. as his wife uh, Alice. Right. Uh, um, are the great Art Carney as uh, is his best pal Ed Norton and Jane Meadows as uh, Trixie Ed Norton's wife, and uh, uh, actually the, it was uh, Joyce Randolph. That's Joyce right. Randolph. I'm sorry, yeah. and uh, the uh, and so uh, the it, it initially started as a, a, a on a variety show on uh, on the Dumont Network Cavalcade of Stars, right? Uh, that that was uh, hosted by Jackie Gleason. He had multiple characters that appeared on that show and multiple sketches. And one of them was the Honeymooners. It was very popular. And so it became a recurring thing. I mean, the earliest versions of it that, that are they're available out there on as the lost episodes. They're, they're on. I know they're on Tubi. That's where I watch some of them. Correct. And they are they're very short. They're like seven minute little sketches there there are a lot about the you know uh, about these two characters fighting with each other right there it's a uh it's a deliberately kind of uh kitchen sinky sort of thing they you know 100%. they they live in a kind of rundown brooklyn apartment they two uh room you, cold water uh apartment in bensonhurst brooklyn without uh, even a telephone without a telephone it's it was interesting seeing in these early episodes, like Jeff mentioned, and uh, there's two different Paul Reiser collections of Honeymooners stuff from the very early 50s, the Dumont Network. And we looked at 1951. That's the year that it debuted. And there was even a couple stories right away about the Cramdens buying a television set. And it's funny that in the CBS years... They were back with no television, and that's one of the classic episodes well, as well. It's not even it's not even that fast. The the honeymooners to to get this back to the, our our first show, the the sci fi outer limits show. The honeymooners apparently live in a time locked uh, loop that only progresses a week before it resets. So uh, if they buy a TV, it's not there the next episode. Uh, then they buy it again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> again, not there again because everything reverts back to whatever the original status. You know, they all they go to a lot. They do a lot of quiz shows. Yes, quiz shows are huge, right? They, you know, they they went uh, they, they went on a quiz show like a couple of a couple sketches in, uh, and ended up with a bunch of junky cereal that they couldn't eat. Like, and then uh, and and then one of the later shows that this uh, ninety nine thousand dollar question episode that we uh, that we reviewed is from the the later iteration of this, the one that everybody knows, the classic thirty nine episodes, which were, were we all think of as shot on film. Uh, but, uh, you know, and this is a little slightly outside the purview of this this podcast called Kinescope. It was not on Kinescope. Right. It it, uh, it, it was recorded with this uh, process developed by the Dumont Network uh, called Electronicam, which was it was uh, it, it was very shot, different. Uh, well, it was broadcast live. Right. It was shot and broadcast live through a video camera. And there was also like a 35 millimeter camera that was stuck to the side of it. Uh, a, but both were shot through the same lens. There was a beam splitter that split the light between the two things. So I imagine those must've been some pretty hot sets because you had to yeah. put even more light on there in order to get, uh, you know, to get the image for both uh, cameras. Well, yeah. there you go. I right there. The right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right on the camera. Absolutely, man. And that is an electronic like, camera. You watch that clock actors. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, man. And and honestly, Gabe, I will slightly disagree because while it while um, the earlier episodes were kinescope, and that's why yeah, we yeah. Have no, that's a, I'm just you know, talking right. But, I'm just talking about also, the thirty nine. Yeah, right. The thirty yeah the thirty nine. They developed this camera system. Uh, Dumont did it, and you know Dumont uh, Dumont was the third network back in the day compared to CBS and NBC, and uh, CBS and NBC early on. We're able to grab VHF, you know, two two through eleven or two through thirteen channels, and uh, unfortunately, Dumont really had to like scrounge to get uh, UHF channels. And it was always a great network from a technolog technological standpoint. 
much like RCA, you know, backing uh, NBC. And I mean, Dumont started making televisions in the first place, right? That, yep. that was, they came out of that. That unlike NBC and, and, and CBS, they were not a radio station, so they That's weren't correct. bringing in a bunch of stuff from radio the way those others were. That's right, and and as a consequence, yeah, I mean, um, they they were more tech, technologically involved. Uh, uh, Alfred Dumont, I believe, was the uh, founder. I think that's right. Um, I don't and, know. Uh, you know, I, I, we keep there's a guy in Chicago, Bruce Dumont, who was very involved in Chicago television and radio and actually ran the Museum of Broadcasting here in Chicago. I am trying very hard to get in touch with him to talk about his uncle, his famous uncle, um, but to no avail right now. And it's so few people that we can talk to that might have a tie to this this period. But it's interesting. Um you know, so prior to this, yes, there were kinescopes. When uh, Gleason moved his show to CBS, and specifically by the time of doing the classic 39 uh, from 55, the 55 56 season, um, he shot the show on this Electrocam at uh, or with Dumont cameras for CBS. Right. At, uh, a, at, at a theater that was owned by Dumont. I that's think, right. right. Like a thousand seat theater that they were Correct. doing it live in front of an audience. That's yeah. absolutely right. And uh, again, we got this shot here of the, this is what it looked like when they would shoot the Honeymooners live. So it was at the same time, as Gabe said earlier, shot both live uh, with one lens and the 35 millimeter film. They would shoot it live. You would see it live on the East Coast. They would cut together the same shots that the live director called, made it the complete episode, and ship it to the West Coast. So that's right. Well, that was actually that was via kinescope. So like they would shoot the live feed with a uh, with like a sixteen millimeter camera or whatever, the way that you would a you know an archive kinescope. But they but that was a reference so that when they uh, when they went back to cut together the film that was shot between the cameras, they would be able to cut them the same way as it went out. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, I mean, it, I guess it was a very expensive process. They only did it for the one season. Um, Gleason was uh, the, the... Well, but also video videotape came in in 1956. So, uh, and then was in series used by 58. So, like, it oh. was kind of in a, in a nebulous area there, transitional area there as well. Well, and regardless... Um, you know, that's why the, the classic 39 looks like I Love Lucy, which we all know was shot on film, and it took its cues from classic uh, film and everything. But much like uh, I Love Lucy, it was a three-camera system that they were calling shots live. Um, it's, I mean, really, you watch the classic 39, there are gaffes. There are moments where the audience screams out things. I remember the episode where <laughs> they're trying to recapture their youth, and they go to the skating rink. And uh, Gleason is like, you know, having trouble like balancing himself on the skates, and you literally hear this woman go, "Steady now!" And it's you know, <laughs> clearly it's an, it's an audience right, member. Right. It was it was a really uh, uh, you know, and also you you know, we mentioned the other characters uh, that appeared. I, I I set up that we would watch uh, the Christmas special from 1951 because they essentially did the whole cavalcade of stars show as a honeymooners for like you know four right. hour episode and there were cameos by Gleason's other other characters uh Reggie Van Gleason the you know that guy who would uh, spend money like you know water and Joe the bartender and the poor soul his chaplain pantomime character um you know so and it was you know they all came up to the Cranbourne's place for this Christmas party and even to the point of you know, uh, there was a juggler at one point. There's a band and uh, the usual June Taylor dancers in the middle of the of the cold, you know, the the living room that we always see in every classic Honeymooners episode. It's, uh, it, you know, it was interesting. And again, a good example of trying to do live TV. And I thought it was a good combination of what we got on the variety show as well as on the yeah. sketch. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing about the electronic cam thing. It was the the what what the 39, the classic 39 was... Uh, um, <laughs> was uh, was shot on uh, so that that like the only those cameras are so bulky that they uh, that basically you could only shoot like a three camera uh, you know sitcom on it. All these other things we're talking about, like uh, the comedian and uh, you know uh, the uh, uh, the live dramas that are so ambitious with the way that they use the camera, you just literally couldn't do that stuff with these because they're too heavy and you just can't really move them. It's it's it works for comedy. Comedy plays in wide shots and medium wides, right? So that's you know, and so those static shots are basically what 
uh, you know, is the only that that's the only way that that system would work. It's fun to explore too. Again, in these early years, uh, we mentioned Pearl Pert Kelton. Uh, sadly, uh, she was blacklisted, and that's why she didn't make the jump to uh, CBS. And right. it's too bad because I do think had the show continued with her, as much as I love Audrey Meadows, um, I do think it would have been equally successful. I mean, my God, we watched that first uh, six-minute sketch, and, I mean, uh, there are screams right away from what they were doing and as raw as they were playing it and everything. And I do think um, even even by the Christmas episode, which was only months after the sketch had debuted, things were settling down, and it was it was getting more domestic and as friendly as it as it could be well kurt Kelton, kelton's one of those she's a vaudeville type person who says stuff like noise you know Absolutely. well yeah and really. she's literally from vaudeville her parents were vaudevillians she was raised in that world they uh you know they they moved out to uh to hollywood in the like late 20s and you know and then she was in multiple pre-code movies and uh you know she had a a real career before this before right. like coming oh, back yeah. to new york oh, and yeah. and having a you know a sort of broadway career as well as this television stuff but Even yeah after. she showed up in red channels the the uh you know the uh you know, the notorious uh, and uh, unreliable uh, way to out communists that would then, uh, um, uh, that, that then, like, you know, the networks and everybody uh, yeah, you know, yeah. would look who's, to. Who's and... on Pert? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> who squealed on Pert, by the way? Yeah, I have no idea. No, I don't know a... either. And I have, and like, I, I you know, th- this is the, her getting blacklisted and all that stuff is, is one of the most interesting things about this to me. And I found like frustratingly little information about it. Yeah. They, they, they said that she was, she had a heart condition and that's why. Yeah. That was their continue. cover story. That was the cover story. And yeah. And actually I, so I was a big Honeymooners fan when I was like 12. Right. Oh, and, uh, and so, yeah. uh, I don't know somebody, but the, uh, I, you know, so like, I remember like buying, you know, I was like, I was into TV and stuff and I would buy books about yeah. this stuff and everything. And I, yeah. the, the, she had a heart condition thing was the story that I remember. Right. Yes. For, so still in the eighties or whenever those books were published, that's still the story that was being, uh, you know, uh, told in some ways. You know? And then, and then the search went on for a new Alice and um, I think it comes back as her mom. Right. In the sixties. In the sixties. Yeah. And in the right. video, t- in the, in the color CBS episodes of the sixties with, Sheila McRae as Alice and Jane Keen as uh, Trixie. Yeah, Per Kelton came back as Alice's mother. Um, but uh, the search for the new CBS Alice, uh, I don't know who suggested Audrey Meadows. She had a comedy background. She was with Bob and Ray. Um, yeah, right. And, yes. and doing live television. That's royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. No, two of the funniest men ever, uh, both on TV and radio. Wait, do those do the do the Bob and Ray live TV episodes exist? Do we know this? I because I don't. Um, I, I don't. I, I have I've seen um, what looks like live stuff, and I'm happy. We could definitely explore Bob and Ray. I mean, I like like I mean, we've said in our meetings uh, that we would like to balance things out with um, with not only you know the great dramas and stuff, but really to lighten things up with some sure. great examples of live comedy. I mean, they're but, primarily radio, but I so I didn't yes. really know if that was something that survived or not. But, yeah, that, I think there is at least one or two, and they're and they're like only fifth. They were fifteen minute television shows. Yeah. Oh, because okay. This is the era right. of you know, right. just like fifteen minutes. But yeah, well, where I, things I, didn't get things hadn't been standardized in that way, and there were right. there were you know you know the, there were still different kind of variations on length Absolutely. of shows. Yeah. And I and I show this glam shot of Audrey Meadows because when Gleason was uh, told about her, he's like, she's too pretty. Alice isn't pretty. She's a working woman or a blue collar woman and stuff. Yeah. And so, um, the, the, way she, the way she told it, she went and met him in person, and uh, okay, and uh, and that he, uh, you know, that like he kind of dismissed her and then turned to the people like, "There's no way. She's like this. You know, she's way too pretty. She's way yeah, too, she's you know, glamorous to be, you know, this uh, downtrodden Brooklyn, you know, uh, wife, wife, yeah." yeah. Yeah, and so they uh, they uh, she arranged for a photographer to come early, according to her, and take photographs of her in the morning, no makeup and everything. And Gleason saw those and said, "Okay, that's Alice. That's awesome." And and truly, uh, not only a, a great straight woman t- for Gleason and Carney and everybody, but also capable of get you know, packing off rice wisecracks as great as Perd Kelton would, and. Yeah. Uh, 
Kurt, yeah, Kurt, Kurt is really good. It's just that the reason to me Meadows works better is because when you've got an Alice who's just matching Ralph with the the intensity and everything, it's like two instruments blasting the same note at each other. Like there's no, there's, yeah. there's, not, there's no, no contrast. contrast it, it, yeah, absolutely. And it's also, it makes him, he, he's such a schmo in a lot of ways. Like it makes him less sympathetic, right? You, unfortunately, kind enough, of, yeah. you kind of need someone to justify putting up with this idiot, right? Like, uh, cause he is, he does, he goes off on, you know, uh, selfish sort of uh you know get rich sort of tangents he does things you know he 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 makes a lot of dubious judgments you know over the course of every episode and so you need to like you you, you got to not just total i mean like the way this started was so so much the bickersons i guess it was sort of what yes. it was based on the uh, the radio show where yes. you know and like and i think that the um you know that you kind of have to i mean they and then they they always lay it on thick with the sentiment at some point in the show right and that's yeah. supposed to bring you back and and whatever and which is fine but i do think that you need to feel like uh like ralph cramden isn't just like a bad guy you know sure. like it, well, in order to survive you know watching the show from the beginning even in 1951 and the examples we were watching from that first year um, in fact, I, I watched not only the Christmas special, which has a great kind of uh, sweet ending, sentimental ending to it, but also I'm sure Jeff saw it too. Uh, the early episode where they, they think about buying a TV, Alice is the one who gets it, and um, Ralph is all angry and stuff, and uh, the Nortons come over, and uh, you know, a little argument happens. In fact, uh, it's great because Art Carney hasn't got his Ed voice down yet, and he's just as angry as Ralph is. Really, he's, he's angry. He's playing it a little more doofusy. Uh, you know, he's 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 really doing the uh, and he, doing the accent and uh, and he's not he's not doing the kind of gesticulating and and a lot of the stuff that would you know and didn't really have the costume the down right. the way that yeah, he the was later all over the place. At yeah, that point. Um, I, but Giant he, actually. So Art Carney, I mean, to me, Art Carney is the great thing about this, right? I oh, think yeah, that he, you know, like it's not, I mean, the, particularly, you know, in those early episodes, it's not Pert Kelton who's letting it down. It's the fact that uh, that there isn't that level of Art Carney and Jackie Gleason interaction, right? Right. And so, and so these early ones, like uh, in the very first the very first episode, Art Carney's in it, but he plays a police officer who That's gets right. flour funny. dumped on his head, and he's good, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and then he comes back, and the uh, and the the first appearance of Trixie is actually by you know Broadway legend Elaine Stritch, uh, right? Who and, also played um, on Thirty Rock, um, Alec Baldwin's uh, mom. Right for, for right. a recent for for a recent like look at Elaine Stretch and everything. But she was supposed to be uh like um what like a, a, a burlesque former, dancer or yeah, something stripper. like that. And, yeah, yeah a right. former a former stripper. Right. Yeah. And uh so then but she only lasts one episode and then uh Joyce, Joyce Randolph. Randolph? Jeez, Correct. I don't know. So uh, right. yep. uh here's here's early Joyce. Absolutely. She comes in and she's she's a little bit more uh, acceptable. <laughs> like she's she's well, not she, like she, a, yeah, I mean for the times, it, right? She's it, she's she's the more conventional one in, in instead of playing up them being them being even more uh you know kind of outre than the Cramdens. They actually become a little bit more like they maybe have a little more money, they have a little bit nicer apartment. They you know. Right, and they're they're willing to buy things on credit as well. You know, Joyce Randolph, it's a shame because of the classic quartet. Uh, you know, um, obviously Gleason and Carney went on to great things beyond the honeymooners. Audrey Meadows was a very smart financial person who early on, kind of like Bob Kane, you'll forgive the comic book reference, but had a wise uh, lawyer when she made her contracts. And I believe it was her brother who said uh, she gets a piece of uh, should they ever rebroadcast this stuff? She gets a piece. And that became incredible. Oh, she did. Okay, yeah. And also, yeah. because of her financial acumen, she was involved with, um, was it Bank of America? But she was with, like, one of the big uh, West Coast banks for, like, over 20 years and also worked for Continental Airlines 
as a financial consultant. Wow. So, yeah, alongside her broadcast career, Audrey did quite well. Joyce Randolph was the exception, and it's such a shame. Never saw a dime, never saw any royalties. Gleason obviously uh, owned the show and, uh, you know, so, sold it right. back for syndication for millions. Um, Although was, in her in her ahead. Academy interview, I, I think she did say that when they had when they brought out the quote unquote lost episodes, which the are these these earlier kinescopes that that were not available until the eighties, that they kind of renegotiated something where she got a piece of those. That's good to hear. Broadcast. Okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't watch her. Uh, that's one of the few archive uh, interviews I didn't watch. Also, um, I that, feel I should point out Bob Kane wasn't particularly that savvy. It's just his dad was a lawyer. Yeah, I was going to I was we went so far beyond it. I was going to take the opportunity to shit on Bob Kane if possible, but well, yeah, uh, don't worry. I'm not letting that go. So thanks for not letting it go. But you're right. No, he uh no, his dad was a lawyer and uh, got a, a very tiny percentage of any merchandising that was going to come from Batman and there was very little and but the, credit. Yeah. And then of course in the 60s when the show exploded, Bob Kane became a millionaire. And then it even were, you know, and even more so for the 89 movie. But, but back to the honeymooners, one great thing, should you ever go to Elaine's in New York uh, and see all the great uh, caricatures of Broadway stars, uh, they have the original, original Al Hirschfield uh, drawings of the classic four in a special area in this tiny b- original bar area of Elaine's above the bar okay and it's, and it's like you know they they switch out the caricatures of current broadway plays and other subsequent things but if you want to see some original hirschfelds and specifically of the honeymooners they're there nice. and uh it's yeah that's that's amazing and um that is you know cool. this was this was the biggest show the cavalcade of stars with gleason that was dumont's biggest show uh, and then again, it was I mean, the yeah. biggest show on the garbageous network, though. Yes, <laughs> it was like I mean, they didn't really have much going on. They, no, uh, but but from the but the ratings back then, the only show that was bigger Lucy. than Gleason's Cavalcade of Stars was I Love Lucy. Right. Yeah. So like, but Dumont was a network that constantly struggled. Right. They didn't. You like you were saying they they mostly had uh, the UHF channels. They didn't. You know which. And apparently at the time. Even though I'm a little confused on this because supposedly Dumont television, like they, they made television sets. So I don't get this, but like supposedly at the time, they uh, most television sets didn't even have uh, the option to watch the, the UHF band. Wow. So like uh, so that that was it. that I mean, they struggled, you know, over and over again with, uh, you know, with just content problems, with sponsorship problems. They they were they had. um they didn't have single sponsors the way other shows did back then. They, you know, they had a more modern version of it, like, you know, with the multi-sponsor. So there wasn't one sponsor who is determining what the content of each show should be, but they struggled with putting all that together. And, uh, and the Gleason left Dumont pretty early, right. In like 52 or something. Yep. To go to CBS. That's right. And then Dumont, uh, you know, relied on sports a lot. They had the first, NFL contract. Uh, they did boxing uh, as well. And by the mid 50s, like 54, 55, they were gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they also, and another show that I think we should explore is, uh, of course, Captain Video, the first uh, great science fiction uh, cliffhanger that was made specifically for television. It was a live production and, in fact, parodied on uh, The Honeymooners in the, during the classic 39 when. Yeah. Uh, when uh, you know Ralph and Ed split buying a TV and official space helmet on Captain Video, you know it, it very funny, great stuff. And I, uh, yeah. I feel we should credit Newton Minow with uh, getting the FCC to require that TVs have UHF on them. I don't yeah, know I why. I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> I, well, I just read a I read an interview with him. He's like ninety some years old. He's still alive. Oh, right. I heard that he was still alive. That's right. Yeah, yes. he, was, he was the one who did the the vast wasteland right speech about TV. And, and of course, he's like everybody quotes those two lines. They don't bring the fact up. I was just trying to suggest that they do something more productive too. Right. Make right, or whatever, shows. like you right, know, he's right. he's he was the one really behind PBS and all kinds of progressive educational yeah. programming. Yeah. From my and own sound, as a result, he just gets the the goddamn SS Minnow named after him on Gilligan's Island. That's right, uh, <laughs> because yeah, Sherwood from- Schwartz took it personally. 
he still lives in uh, Wilmette, Illinois, my hometown. And uh, I, I know I've seen him as recently as last year uh, being interviewed. And, yeah, I mean, for 90-whatever, the guy's incredibly lucid. Uh, yeah, and, it seemed and, like Well, it. tell me why we're not having Newton Minow on the fucking show. You know, because he's stuck, he's stuck <laughs> on the island with Gilligan. I have no right. idea. But, uh, yeah, Chicago's I don't, I don't know when. Yeah, I don't know any. I, I unfortunately have not met them. Get before. Newton Minow on the horn. Where would this? It. This needs to happen. I'll work on it. Uh, that would be great. No, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. And uh, and then I'm let's sure cover you know. like the Zenith Factory. There must be some people still alive we can talk well, to. Much like much like uh, Dumont, um, I know that Sid Caesar, uh, his original sketch show before it was called Your Show of Shows, was the Admiral Broadway Review. Uh, sponsored by Admiral Television, and he would tell this classic story that it only lasted like half a season, and they came to him and said, Mr. Caesar, we have to cancel the show. And he's like, why? And they're like, well, the you know, we we're, the, the show's expensive, and um, we're getting so many orders for new televisions, we either had to put money in the factory or your show, so we really have to put it in the factory because in the long run, it's going to make us more money. And he's like, we were the first show to be canceled because we were too good. And it's <laughs> and it's kind of true. And it's awesome. And um, that's that's a know. lot of Sid Caesar's whole life story. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely we should, do it. We're definitely going to We should, we should probably just talk about $99,000 yeah. question because I know everybody watched it. Yeah. It's it's the, be- to and me, it's it's really the best good. episode it is. of, it of is. the show. It really, you know, yeah. I mean, and it's great because again, of the moment, quiz shows were incredibly popular. Uh, it's obviously of the yeah, they just keep doing episodes about quiz shows. <laughs> must have been popular. Well, you know, and and again, it's it's so great because you know Ralph is initially so nervous being on the show. That's and, that's some know, of the funniest Jackie Gleason and uh, bit uh, in the whole show is when he comes out and he has stage fright. It's so good. Yeah. His eyes. Yes, he bribes the dust, you know, and uh, he dusts a bribe. And uh, what's your wife's? What's your wife's name? Mrs. Cramden. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's a great thing, man. I mean, it, I, I truly, and especially within the classic thirty-nine. But again, I think there are examples in the first year as well. Yeah, and the guy going, a bus driver splashed mud all over me. That was you. That was yeah. you. That's, <laughs> that's right. Good stuff. It's good. Stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it, so you know, again, but, yeah. Also, as good of stuff is the the fucking Art Carney and Norton of it all, right? With the uh, where he, you know, uh, they they apparently uh, because Art Carney was a good you know, piano player, like they leaned into this and you know and like wrote bits for him to do this stuff and yeah. uh, and the the way that. You know the the way that the, the so much of a part of uh, of Ed Norton's character is doing irritating, repetitive stuff, and that you know that makes uh, you know uh, Ralph Cramden more and more you know steam angry. And so Victor Borgia, yes, yeah. and uh, and like, but that level of repetition where he every time he uh, so on the ninety nine thousand dollar question. Uh, they it, it starts at the beginning of the show. They uh, Ralph picks a topic, which is popular songs, and then they run out of time on that episode. They're having him back a week later, so he has a week to study up. So, um, so he, uh, you know, he study, you know, he, he you know, he he goes, absorbs goes all Manicotti. the yeah, goes to Ms. Manicotti. Yes. He absorbs all of the the you know the potential popular song knowledge and work and then works with uh, uh, with Norton. And uh, but every so with Norton playing the piano and every time Norton starts a song, he uh, he has to play Swanee River. Right. And uh, and it's so irritating. Right. Like it just is he, you know, and like the, the but the endless repetition of it, I think, is like the boldest, best part of the show. It really well, caught me off guard, too. It's a classic setup. And. And follow through on the final joke or whatever, and I was like, "Oh yeah, of course they were going to do that." I mean, yeah. So well, the yeah, I Go mean, ahead. but also just that kind of. I mean, it's his warm up for every other song that he's about to play, right? Yeah. And it has that almost stumbling into the song, and that's why because he even says, "Hey, a pitcher warms up before he throws one over the plate." I'm doing the same thing, so it's that. Brum, 
bum, 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 yeah. bum, bum, bum. And right. it really is like kind of this like, all right, I'm I'm just getting the hang of it every time he hits the keys. But I also and, think that it's it's the style of Ed Norton, right? It's the way he does everything. Totally. Like he Absolutely. has, you know, it, it's he's able to like Art Carney is able to infuse his piano playing with the character of Ed Norton. That's the brilliance of Art Carney, absolutely. And then I truly have these like series of moments where it's like, who wrote Swanee River? And it's like, what? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, Swanee River, can we have a few bars of it? Da 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 da. da. And they look on Gleason's face. Yeah. It's just so awesome. And then he's so desperate for an answer. And he's like, Ed Norton. Yeah. Did he write it? And it's and it, and it is. It still kills me. And that's it's why so I painful. It's like I mean that that is great. It's a great payoff for for yeah. setting all that up. And, and, and truly, you think Ralph might be able to like if the first time you ever watch it, it's like God damn man. I mean, they run through the Great American Songbook, and it's much too marvelous for words, and uh, always, and all these like classic Sinatra, Tony Bennett, you know, Great American Songbook uh, stuff from 42nd Street and all the great movies. And he is there, man, composer, the movie it came from, the year it was published. And it's like, God damn, Ralph might actually do it this time. And he wants, he makes it clear to Alice, I'm not stopping at one or two and taking my money and leaving. I'm going all the way, man. And we're going to win that $99,000. We're going to live in Park Avenue. Can't wait to see this furniture in a Park Avenue. A pound that was a great <laughs> joke. Yes, that, he, that is good. It, it, it was such a, a good, like, can't get out of his existence sort of thing. Like, imagine what this furniture will look like in a Park Avenue. Park. <laughs> I was Again. like, that was well done, whoever did that. And it, and it's such a shame, as I'm sure, uh, you know, Gabe probably researched as well, the, the, the disdain that Gleason had for his writers. And maybe it forced them to come up with this incredible material because, again, you go back to the classic 39. There are so many great episodes from that period, so much so that after that season, as great as it was, CBS wanted more. And he's like, no, I'm going back to the variety show. I can't maintain this uh, quality. I mean, I, I'm sure that's true, and that's what they say every time. But, the, but it also was the case that the, the show, the half-hour version of the show uh, that was not part of the variety show, like debuted, like, you know, really highly rated, uh, and then tapered off. tapered off quite a bit. It was like number 19 by the end of the season. So it's like, I think that in some, I'm betting just because I don't know, maybe business has something to do with show business that, uh, that these things were kind of working together. It may well, have been a, about the script, but I bet that it's all of the things. But know? I, but I also read that CBS wanted more honeymooners. And less yeah, that's probably what Jackie Gleason said. Okay, but I, I mean, it's, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm you know, not yeah, saying you're wrong. Either. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just bringing up the ratings part too because it seems sure. like it's not irrelevant. You know? No, and you're right. I mean, they split they split it to do two different shows. Stage show was the variety part of the show that still was going on, but it was the half hour. Yeah, it's and I'm only I'm more saying not that not that CBS didn't want it, but that maybe uh, maybe Gleason didn't want something that felt like it wasn't as successful as it could be or something. Maybe. I mean, it's not like he wasn't a vain guy, right? No, so, I, I don't know. I just I'm, I have no idea. I'm just speculating. A little bit. Gleason had a photographic memory. He hated to rehearse. They had a stand in that would rehearse with the regular cast. And he pretty much had a, again would just come in and, and do it and felt that the spontaneity of the moment was going to serve him better than rehearsal. And, although, I mean, and this is the you know you're talking about a, like the flubbed lines and people you know weird things happening. This is the origin story of this that he refused to rehearse. That he you know that he would you know, I mean they they say he had a photographic memory, but that doesn't mean he's you know he's nailing that exact dialogue every right. time and so other people will miss their cues a little bit or they'll have to fill in or they'll have to vamp a little bit yeah he, he would, would he had would his stomach that. as a yep. cue that he'd forgotten a line like yeah uh, and i mean but i don't even necessarily think this is a bad thing i mean i think it brings a certain amount of spontaneity to the stuff that so that it doesn't feel so like hermetically sealed you know it's alive Absolutely. it's a live show there's uh, a there's a story in one of the honeymooner trade paperback books about the show that uh, for some reason, Gleason missed a cue. Audrey Meadows was already off stage, and the only person that was on stage was Art Carney and was sitting at the kitchen table. And you know, nobody was coming out for their cues. They, they said Gleason probably went because he was sweating to get a Kleenex to mop his brow or whatever. And so Carney got up, 
went to the refrigerator. Luckily, in this sack, there was an orange inside the refrigerator, sat back down to the table and started peeling it in his Norton sort of way <laughs> yeah. and held the moment. Yeah. And, yeah. and this guy who worked on the show is like, I have no idea how he did it, but he had such calmness and knew that he could handle it. He's like, I'm sure he would have found other bits of business to do, yeah, but someone found Gleason and got he's him the back. King, he's that. the king of business. It's like, yes. it, just like it, I'm sure. I wonder if they even threw some stuff at him just to see what he would do, just because you know he's going to come up with something funny. And you know what? All of my favorite actors are the ones who are all about business, right? Like I love Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is is like he goes out of his way to find pieces of business to do throughout the scene. Like uh, it, it, there's something just so great about that. The other side of this uh, um, this whole thing with the uh, with the the with not rehearsing though was that when Audrey Meadows her very first shot at Alice uh, was she says it was the worst day of her life because. Gleason never she didn't know that they weren't going to rehearse it he you know he never showed up they kept pushing it back and pushing it back like you know she'd come in and oh he just went out to a restaurant he just whatever and uh for days in advance and then on the day they you know they all all they did was a run through with the stand-in they get off you know uh, they uh because it was the um it was still the variety show so they were you know running through all the different acts and doing little rehearsals or at least little camera stagings. And uh, she got off, she turns to Art Carney and is like, well, when are we doing the real rehearsal? And he's like, that's it. Right. So it, it was uh, an, an enormously traumatic experience for her to, to be thrown into that. And also a, an incredibly inconsiderate one for, uh, for Gleason to, oh, yeah, to you know, crappy because he's not it, considering the entire rest of the cast. Yeah. yeah and as certainly well. not the, her very first shot at doing this. Right. And I mean, I think that, it, you know, maybe Carney or somebody said that they admired her just for coming back again the second time. Right. Cause it was such a rough experience to be thrown into like the middle of it like that well and not giving a fuck about anybody else is kind of hallmark of gleason's entire career sure uh and the way he treated writers is notorious and his uh his uh living space and and offices were at the park sheridan hotel in in manhattan and um he wouldn't meet with the writers they would literally slip scripts under the door for review and uh, Leonard Stern, one of the great uh, comedy writers for decades, uh, was one of the main guys behind uh, Get Smart after the creation of Mel Brooks and Buck Henry. Uh, he has amazing stories about Gleason's lack, lack of respect for his writers. Uh, whatever it was, it forced these guys to get, get to get the best out of them. And even that season right after the classic 39 uh, we all we all might know the the videotape color episodes of the '60s where they went on a big European trip, and that has been syndicated and is shown often and stuff. They originally did the, that story though with the uh, the foursome of Meadows and Joyce Randolph as well, and you can see those on the Lost episodes and and they they play there. And these were mini musicals, so they would have these musical numbers. So not only were they making these very difficult uh, you know comedies every week. All of a sudden, they were writing so original songs about each story every week. So you got to give these guys incredible credit for, I think, coming up with this. Because it was good. Uh, sure. Although, I look, I'll, I'll say I have not seen those musical episodes. Uh, I, uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm just admitting I haven't seen them. Right, you don't whatever. have to like it's, it's not a personal vendetta or something. No, I just I'm just saying you're, you're making faces and I'm just telling you they're great. I'm sure they're great. I am making faces, but it, like I, I, I can't imagine that they're great. But I'm taking your word for it. <laughs> they're be honestly, although they've got to be better than. Look, I saw a little bit, a little clips of 1978 honeymooners, which looks oh. absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So yeah. You know. Well, they kept going back to the well, and there was great nostalgia for I think the original episodes. ABC commissioned those ones from the 70s. Um, yeah, they're horrible. And even the '60s ones don't hold up. And it's it's member it, man. That's the earliest I think example of member berries when they're getting laughs and applause even in the '60s because everybody remembers "Bang Zoom" and and, and right. the various catchphrases of the show. 
But I, I have on the Lost episodes watched, um, and they're not, they're not as good as the classic thirty nine. But I have watched those European Vacation ones, and also um, uh, other episodes uh, that happened post classic thirty nine that work in its scopes. Um, again, Showtime originally showed them in the eighties. Hmm. Uh, that's that was the original venue for the Lost episodes. But um, there are flashes of brilliance in some of them, um, and we also uh, have. Uh, the 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 stock actors that worked with them, even going back to uh, fifty one, uh, we mentioned Frank Marth on uh, on uh, in fact the James Dean episode of Kinescope that we did, and he was the boyfriend of Betsy Palmer on that uh, James Dean uh, Danger episode. Yes, uh, right. you know, uh, and Frank Marth was uh, the big tall guy. He plays um, uh, a policeman in the Christmas episode of fifty one. But uh, he is uh, he and the little guy George Petrie. George Petrie would be things from another bus driver from Ralph's company to uh, my one of my other favorites, where Ralph gets the suitcase of counterfeit money, and the two gangsters uh, who who want the money back uh, have hold them hostage in the apartment. And Frank Marth is the big muscle, and uh, George Petrie is the little guy. George Petrie later on, and actually, it's funny. Um, Ed mentioned uh, what's the connection with Paul Reiser hosting those uh, Honeymooner shows. Uh, Paul Reiser on Mad About You hired George Petrie to be this old editor because Paul was a filmmaker and he would always work with this old editor and it was played by George Petrie. George Petrie also on Wise Guy, the Ken Wall, Donnie Brasco kind of oh. undercover, undercover yeah. show where he had infiltrate crime families. And uh, George Petrie in that played Don Iupo, one of the Godfather uh, kind of characters uh, and then had several episodes on there, and in fact, even marries Ken Wall, Ken uh, Wall's uh, character's mother uh, in the series and stuff. But it, great, I mean, both of these guys are star, stalwart character actors and were tremendous and and great in their honeymooner episodes, playing various roles, but subsequent roles as well in television. So, so I mean, we, really top to bottom, great, great, great people working on the show. We should talk about the the Christmas episode because it does sure. uh, give a little more context to the uh, Jackie Gleason variety show, the different characters that he would play, uh, and um, you know what, what what does everybody think about that? Because I, I I'm a lot more mixed on the Christmas show than I am. On oh the, yeah, uh, <laughs> on everything else. If anything, I think it shows the weakness of uh, the other uh, characters that were recurring characters and stuff. I mean, uh, here I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna bring a couple of them up. Like here's the poor soul. And I mean, you know, this is this is Gleason's attempt to do Chaplin, essentially. Yeah, but it's but it's I mean, it's not a silent character. He's a uh, you oh know, no, he, he was and he is a silent character. He is a silent character. He yes, said sir. he had dialogue in he that. He did not have dialogue. I'm sorry. I will. I will. <laughs> he didn't. With you, sir. I didn't get to see it that one. Uh, he did not. I, I okay. No, this was this was the staple of of uh, the poor soul was that it was always done. In fact, I mean, that's the thing. Literally. During his scene, the Crabdens are having a Christmas party. Uh, there's a great excuse no, to have various characters. Wait, was he the one who delivered the beer, or was that somebody no, else? No, that's that's this guy. That's Joe the bartender. No, not Joe the bartender. Joe the bartender didn't deliver the beer. Uh, well, the hapless guy came in with a keg, right, and delivered beer. No, it's well, it wasn't the poor soul. It was uh, okay. It was, it was just another very slightly different version of Jackie Gleason. Oh, yeah. Oh, good lord, yes. I mean. Uh, again, uh, no, the, you know, uh, but the poor soul, like the, the dialogue stops. Alice, I mean, uh, Joe, the bartender tells this heartbreaking story that the poor soul was at the bar. Uh, Reginald Van Gleeson, another, uh, you know, that's his rich man character and stuff. Uh, he's uh, having a great party or he's financing a great party at, at Joe's bar. And Joe comes in and tells the sad story that they were making uh, the various patrons were making fun of the poor soul. They gave him a rhinestone, told him it was a diamond. He very carefully wrapped it up in a little, you know, napkin. And um, Alice feels terrible. And she's like, you know, I, I know I bought a tie that Ralph will hate. I'm going to give that to the poor soul when he shows up. And uh, so he, you know, the poor soul shows up. It's all in pantomime. I mean, they they don't speak. All right. to him. Okay, and, and it's just music. Playing. I, I thought he was the same character who delivered the beer earlier. I like I, I I was not clear on this, but I I don't you know it, it's I I I gotta say I bristle at the level of sentimentality in all of this. <clears throat> I can't. It's not funny to me. Like yeah. I don't. I actually have a hard time with uh, 
most of these other characters. Like, I just don't, I, I don't, I don't think that they're, I think it's a lot because it's not, they're not as much about the dynamic with other characters. Right. And so much of what makes the, you know, the kind of core honeymooner stuff good are the other characters reacting to Gleason and just the dynamics between them. Right. right. And so like, I, and, and it may just have been that they are coming. I haven't seen other examples of this as much. Right. There's, so it may uh, be that they're just because they're coming into this weirdly foreign circumstance of, of, pretending to be in the Cramden's apartment for some reason. Yeah, it was Maybe ridiculous. that's what's hampering it a little bit, but I didn't really get what was great about these other the, characters. The, the wider uh, character, uh, I guess, coat rack of Jackie Gleason, ultimately is just pretty much everything Johnny Carson draws on later for a skit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he straight up just used every Jackie Gleason character. I yeah I and I watched a a, a little clip of Gleason on uh, the Tonight Show from the eighties when he was talking about these lost episodes coming out and stuff like that and like you know and it, and uh, Carson was like hey how come you you've never been on the show before and I'm thinking maybe it's because you ripped off every one of his characters I don't know <laughs> uh, between between Gleason and Jonathan Winters yes yeah uh, Aunt it's, Blabby it's, and it, yeah, yeah exactly Maud Frickett uh, from Winters and Aunt Blabby from Carson. No, it's it is so weird, and maybe because of Johnny's power, uh, you know, back then that nobody called him on it publicly. Well, but again, you, know, when you couldn't see the honeymooners to check him on it. The uh, yeah, it's it's or the yeah the the yeah the Calvin Stars version of it, yeah, where yeah. where a lot of these characters were that he was yeah the uh, certainly that that kind of Reginald Van Gleeson, uh, John, you can do the voice. Uh, oh, you're a Dan Dandy group, yeah. That's, yeah, you know, Carson would do that shit all the time. Yeah. Oh, well, that was yeah. Art Fern. That was the Tea Time movie yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. We know, we know. Gleason hated uh, being ripped off because he he thought about suing the Flintstone, you know, Hanna Barbera, but didn't want to be. No, known no, no. no. You don't. Under, you don't understand. The Flintstones are not based on the Honeymooners. Just I, this is just all a big misunderstanding, according to uh, Joe Barbera. Joe Barbera, uh, he Barbera's like the best, man. You know why? You can tell why that's not based on uh, uh, the Flintstones are not based on the Honeymooners. It's because, because they're cavemen. They're cavemen, and they have like birds who uh, uh, who who act like clothespins. Totally they have, uh, uh, you, you know, you got a rotten job. The, yeah. yeah, the uh, <laughs> there there are, are many many caveman attributes that prove the Flintstones are not based on the animals. Well, and not only it's, not only the Flintstones, but Yogi Bear clearly is Ed Norton. I mean, down to the tie in that. Yes. Yeah, they just kept going for Ed Norton's. Like, well, he doesn't seem to get mad at Low us using it. his voice. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you so know, what are you going to do? And in fact, um, the Flintstones had. Former honeymooner writers writing for their show. Hmm. Interesting. So, also, the yeah. Flintstones ran a hell of a lot longer than the honeymooners yes, did. Right? Well, yes and no, because again, well, but they, uh, there were sketches on the show and everything. But as a well, dedicated but, show, it did, right. right? Well, of course, but also, um, it was interesting because a few times post the classic thirty nine, Gleason would try other formats, and very infamously, and in fact, you can find. Uh, he did a game show, only one episode, and it was called You're in the Picture. And I believe Johnny Carson was one of the panelists. That's right, because that they show. talked about it on that uh, that appearance that I watched. And yeah. and yeah, and the whole thing was kind of like you see at um, amusement parks where they'll have like a giant uh, caricature drawing with holes for everybody to put their heads through the holes and stuff. That was the premise of the show. The stars would not know what the giant uh, drawing was that they were putting their heads through. Uh, and that was the idea of the game show. And it, it was sucked. called You're in the Picture, right? Yes. And so and it was so bad that it only ran once. And it was such an embarrassment that the next week, Jackie Gleason came back on and just apologized to the audience for, for putting minutes. this on in the first place. Yep. And it, and both both the game show and the apology, are, you can find them on YouTube. And they are, especially the apology, very, very funny. He oh, I'm going to go watch that immediately. Week. He did one more week as a talk show uh, following the apology and then came back with a new version of his variety show, which they called the American Scene Magazine. And he would do occasional Honeymooner sketches, only they wanted them every week. 
And he's like, no, I'll only do them when Art Carney is available. And there's a real weird both dependence on Carney and also jealousy of Carney during this period because there was also a period during the variety show when it was uh, still the Jackie Gleason show before the game show, uh, and he was really sick, and they would have substitute hosts. He would not let Carney be a substitute host. Hmm. Or if he did, it was only one episode. Um, and, um, yeah, he would have these other rotating, like, you know, comedians do it. And um, so, yeah, there was kind of Although, a, it I also love is, him, but as long as he's under my thumb. Right. Kind of I mean, relationship between Gleason and Carney. There's probably a little bit there, though, where Carney was like an actor, right? Like he more than he was a comedian. And he, you know, and like it seemed like he was as a person, a very like recessive personality uh, who is, you know, like a Peter Sellers or somebody is finding, yes. you know, finding himself through character rather than being a personality himself. No question. No question. Um, well, he's and definitely, Carney's very definitely the, the, the team player supporting guy who makes sure everybody looks good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You yeah. know, that, 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 that's one of the, it's the, the, you know, what everybody always says about Phil Hartman and everything is like, he's, 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 he's not there to steal the scene. He's there to make sure it really works and pulls it off. And right. You, you right. are so right. And then subsequently, he's the original Felix Unger in the original stage version of The Odd Couple. Um, he, had a, he had a tough bout of alcoholism. And then, God, in the 70s, just totally cruised with uh, various acting roles. Harry Antano, he, gets, he wins the Best Actor Oscar Award. Um, and and I mean, one of my favorite movies, the original Going in Style. Do not watch the horrible reboot with Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, and Alan Arkin. Watch the original with George Burns, Art Carney, and Lee Strasberg. And man, that is the closest in a different way of the return of Ed Norton because they're all three retirees living on their pensions and stuff and bored out of their minds with their mundane lives. And George Burns is like, let's knock off a bank. And they just have this whirlwind weekend of robbing the bank, going to Vegas. And like one of the greatest scenes in that movie is Art Carney, just his bits of physical business, not understanding how to shoot craps. And George Burns just feeding him money and numbers. And it's like, just throw, Al, just throw. And keeps winning money. And it's truly one of the great Art Carney scenes caught on film it's i i can't recommend this movie enough if you love ed norton and art carney you'll absolutely love this and i mean my god like you know hookers trying to like entice carney to and hey he has no idea that it's a hooker and uh, just great scenes or they're in the coffee shop after they're flush with cash and it's like i'll have a uh, cream cheese and mint jelly sandwich on toast and he's like oh, i think i'll have the same and it's like it's just so ridiculously awesome of them just being themselves. And it's, I mean, and he rubbed up against Burns just as greatly as he did with Gleason. Just great stuff. And I believe that was directed by Martin Brest, right? Who went on to direct Midnight Run and uh, Beverly Hills Cop. And he was fired off of it. I, I recently uh, oh, went I to, um, uh, I saw, I went to see a Midnight Run at the Arrow in Los Angeles. And uh, it, uh, and Martin Brest was there. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was, was interviewing him for, and it was great. Uh, Midnight Run is one of my favorite movies, and oh, uh, and so, uh, but yeah, he talked a little bit about uh, the going, going style experience, and uh, not very much, but uh, but that it was a movie that he had been fired off of. Yeah. That sucks. Wow, because yeah. yeah, it's a it's a tremendous movie, and Gleason, of course, found uh, new fame uh, through the Smokey and the Bandit movies. The first, right. the first two are are great, even the sequel. Uh, third one, not so much. That no. focus. Yes, yeah, it's all yeah, about it's, him. <laughs> yes. Well, and God, the original concept of three was Smokey and the bandit. Well, yeah, to catch the bandit, I need to be the bandit. And there are even, uh, I don't know if it was a trailer or what, but I know I've seen movie posters and I believe him totally made up looking like Burt Reynolds with the hat, with the sunglasses, just ridiculous. And again, three is such a bad movie. Um, when Gary Marshall made nothing in common, the Tom Hanks film and wanted to cast Gleason as his dad. Gleason's like, I'm too old. I don't know if I can handle a, a Hollywood shoot at my age and my health. And apparently Gary Marshall's like, Jackie, please do not let Smokey and the Bandit three be your last film. And he's like, Gary Marshall knew how to manipulate somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit's great. It's just weird. 
it is, it's so wild to think of Gleason working with Hal Needham. Uh, but it, it, it gets magic out of it. And part of it is, you know, Gleason's mostly by himself and his son or whatever in his yeah. scenes or yeah. whatever. So he's just doing his thing. It's sure. hilarious. And I, but the mo- the most important thing is to just bring up Hal Needham, right? Like we yeah, we, I, we can't I, just can't let this opportunity go by without okay. uh, <laughs> acknowledging I, Hal Needham. I, I somehow didn't mention uh, Art Carney playing the Archer on Batman sixty six, but I, I'm I'm going to mention Hal Needham. And, uh, <laughs> well, you just did both. So and I <laughs> and I still, if I go in a diner, I will say, "Give me a Diablo sandwich and a Dr Pepper." Because I don't know why that was the funniest <laughs> bit of that movie to me. The uh, There's so many good bits in that movie. All right. Well, I'll have to revisit it because I don't think I've seen the, any of them since Cable when I was 10 years old. Yeah, Gleason's <laughs> hilarious in it. All it right. In both movies, in the first one and the second one. No, I agree. And I'll even, believe it or not, because it's a horrible movie, he does have a few moments in three. Very few. But, but the, well, you know, again. Well, what was that? John, what was that last movie that he did with Tom Hanks where he's kind of essentially playing himself? Nothing that, in common. That's nothing in common, right? Yeah, that's yeah. nothing in common. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. He's an ad agent. And, yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a sales guy for like kids' clothes or whatever. And he's working he's a, he works at ad agency, I think. Doesn't he? No. He uh, he sells he sells dresses to okay. stores. Yeah, that's his thing. And uh, yeah, but he's like a classic old school kind of sales guy, schmearing and you know schmoozing and everything. And uh, his his wife, who's played by Eva Marie Saint, leaves him. They are Tom Hanks's parents, and Tom Tom Hanks is the ad guy. That's yes. what I was talking about. Oh, excuse me, because yeah, Gleason Gleason sells uh, kids clothes. But yes, Tom is an ad agency guy. It's a very funny movie. It's a great early comedy drama from Hanks. Kind of flashes of what we would get in later movies. And stuff. Gleason gets diabetes and his toes fall off. And yeah, oh, God, gross. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Very well, okay. On that note, for you. Uh, <laughs> but a great performance, and thank God. Gleason, and in fact, on that Tonight Show appearance, uh, they talk about the film and stuff, and it's while he's making it. Uh, no, thank God that uh, Gleason did kind of end on a on a decent film. Um, it's a shame that he was as difficult as he was. Man, he had a rough. Uh, childhood and it is a fascinating story to go through his biography i hope we get back to him because he made a, a great anthology episode called the laugh maker with carney uh that i hope we explore in a in a future episode yeah we, we can definitely do that i so I, I think that we've done this i think we've wrapped it up yeah. um you know uh so next week uh since uh since last week uh john got to choose this week i'm choosing and it's marty we're gonna look at uh the other kind of pillar of classic live drama rod steiger yeah. and uh you know uh i think patty, patty chayefsky wrote it yeah. and it was directed by delbert man and uh and so like this is another uh, I, I think that's right i'm not sure uh and uh th- this is uh you know this is just another one of like the kind of core live drama things like really the first that that really broke through for everybody and uh you know it'll be interesting to take a look at that and then the Ernest Borgnine movie and uh and and more broadly talk about Patty Chayefsky who was you know who we haven't really talked about yet and is one of the giants of live tv and uh, also uh Nancy uh, Marchand who it's funny as we're getting ready for the Sopranos prequel uh Nancy of course played Tony's mom and uh she is uh the girl that yeah. uh, Marty meets at the dance. Um, no, it's a great, it's a great story. It's, it's a, a much like patterns. It's one of those breakthrough. Holy shit. This is what TV can do when it's done properly. Uh, and, 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 and about small character stuff, what, what they figured out, what TV could do at the time, which as opposed to, you know, the, the big movie stuff, you know, like uh spectacle of, of the fifties, the, the thing that was competing with television was spectacle in, in, in movie theaters on TV, uh, they they were able to focus in on small character stuff that wouldn't play otherwise, but uh, but played great on a tiny little television set. So uh, so I look forward to talking about that uh, next week. Alligator Farm points out, and this is fine. He's right as far as Audrey Meadows' beginnings. She and her uh, sister Jane spent their first six years, you know, her first Audrey's first six years in China with missionary parents, and that's why if you ever see Jane, uh, she is the aristocrat of the family, Steve, uh, Steve Allen's widow, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also, so. Alligator Farm is not a him. It is my mom, Linda. So I uh, beg your yeah. pardon, Linda. My apologies. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, I and I thank you for watching. And uh, you know, um, that's I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't dig a deeper hole, John. <laughs> All right. Let's get. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Absolutely. No, thanks for watching, everybody. So, Marty, next week, it's going to be fun. Thanks again for tuning in to the Kinescope Podcast, hosted by Gabriel Hardman and me, John Sundress. Join us Thursday for Marty, a 1953 Philco Television Playhouse production starring Rod Steiger, written by Patty Chayefsky, directed by Delbert Mann, and produced by Frederick Coe. A reminder, the Kinescope podcast is performed live on the Word Balloon YouTube channel. If you wish to comment or ask us questions, join us every Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Pacific, 11.30 p.m. Central, and 12.30 a.m. Eastern. Or send us a question or comment to john at wordballoon.com. Thanks for listening.